Hey, what's up? And welcome to Together We're Better podcast. This will be the best 30 minutes of your day. I'm your host, Brandon Morris, the manager of community engagement with Building Our Future here in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Welcome. To all of our listeners, this podcast is centered around the question, what's possible when you bring people together around a shared result? And today's episode is titled, Using Data as a Flashlight and Not as a Weapon. You know, after sitting down with Kristen and Kevin in this episode, I have an even more respect for data and how I continue to view data as well as how I present data to others. Trust me, you'll want to listen to this 30 minutes of how the data experts, Kristen Koppelman and Kevin Maher, educates all of us on how to use data as a flashlight and not as a weapon. Grab your flashlights. Let's dive in. And just like that, we're back with another episode of Together We're Better. And I have two special guests in the studio with me. I have my great friend, Kristen, and my great friend and colleague, Kevin. So I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves to all of our listeners. I think we're close to a million listeners now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but anyways, uh, Kristen, can you introduce yourself to all of our listeners first, please? Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for having me today, Brandon. I'm Kristen Koppelman. I'm the director of research for Milwaukee Succeeds. So I get to provide all of the data research and evaluation um, for Milwaukee Succeeds, which is the counterpart for building our future just a little bit to the north. Excellent. Thank you for checking in. And Kevin, to you, introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. I'm uh, Kevin Maher. I'm the data manager with Building Our Future. So I'm kind of Kristen's counterpart for Building Our Future and uh, manage all things data, which we'll be talking about today. Excellent. Um, I'm super excited about this, uh, especially with the title, Using Data as a Flashlight and Not as a Weapon. So Let's, let's just dive in right away. I want to give both of you guys this question. Uh, Kristen, we'll start with you. Um, in the simplest terms possible for a guy like me that doesn't know anything about data, maybe, um, what is data? You know a lot about data, Brandon. Give yourself some more credit. It's, it's information. It's, it's anything that you can use to kind of clarify a point that you're making or to, as you said, bring a, you know, use it as a flashlight, bring awareness to an issue. I mean, you're a basketball player, you understand data in terms of rebounds and points per game and things like that. For the work that Kevin and I do, it might be looking at census data or some survey results, talking about early childhood education or third grade reading. But all it is basically the simplest way to look at it is just information. Nice. Kevin, to you, can you add to that, please? The simplest terms possible. What is data? Yes, yeah, so I, I mean, Kristen summarized it pretty well. Um, I think it, it's kind of anything from the most granular of statistics to, you know, an anecdotal observation you might see walking down the street. Um, kind of anything that can be used uh, as evidence to support a claim, you could say. Um, which doesn't mean all data is created equal, but um, it is kind of all data. It is a broad, all-encompassing term in a lot of ways. Oh, thank you for that, Kevin. Um, 
So, Kevin, we're going to come right back to you and then we'll let Kristen follow up. What drew you to the data field? Yeah, so I uh, actually kind of fell in love with data through sports. Um, I was not always, um, you know, a math lead or, or the best in uh, stats growing up uh, in high school or anything like that. But um, as I got older, um, I found myself um, looking up uh, batting averages and home run totals and all and ERAs and all sorts of stuff when I was watching baseball rather than actually watching the game. Um, and then later in, uh, in grad school, I had some really good stats professors that kind of um, just really cemented my love for data um, and was really just kind of fascinated by the endless ways it can be used um, and just, um, you know, how crucial it is in, in better understanding our world. I think. Hmm. Thanks. So Kristen, to you, what drew you to this field of data? For me, it was kind of similar to, to Kevin um, in terms of getting into undergrad and grad school and having a knack for understanding statistics and research and data. I was actually going down a completely different career path and was just about ready to graduate and I needed to make a pivot because I, I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do and I was able to kind of fall back on the research and data work that I had done in grad school to get my first job as a researcher for a nonprofit. and ever since then it's it's just what I've loved to do and I especially love when we get to work with our community partners and really kind of teach them and show them how to use data um, to better the work that they're doing in our communities. Wow, that's fascinating. So, yeah, sports kind of pulled you in, and wow, okay. I didn't, I, I didn't go that route. I, I guess I wasn't good with the numbers and the information finding. But moving on, Kevin, to you, how do you know what data to collect? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, you know, for us, we're. we're Building Our Future Milwaukee Succeeds, we're just two of some 70 Strive Together uh, partnerships nationwide. So we kind of really rely on them for some of the more traditional battle-tested uh, indicators like third grade reading, eighth grade math, high school graduation, post-secondary degree. Um, that's stuff that's kind of proven that we know is you know, a good indicator of future success in life. Uh, but then we also rely heavily on our community. Um, you know, in some of the networks that we, we have, we rely on subject matter experts to identify and, and prioritize indicators. Um, and also we just pay attention to what we're hearing in the community. Um, you know, as a result of community conversations, we knew that housing was a priority and that was kind of an issue that had come up a lot. So um, eventually we started tracking some data on that just because we knew it was a community priority. So. It's kind of a combination of, of relying on the, the data that we know is proven and has a lot of you know, evidence behind it, and then just listening to the community to make sure that we're, we're helping them make informed decisions. Excellent, thank you for that explanation, Kevin. Uh, Kristen, different question for you though. What sources do you use to gather data? It really depends on what you're looking for. Sometimes there's data that already exists, like 
uh, Department of Children and Families or the Department of Public Instruction both have a lot of information that's publicly available that might be able to answer some of the questions that we're looking into. Other times, we might have to find the information ourselves. So that might include doing focus groups or interviews or conducting surveys with some of our lived experience partners. So it really just kind of depends on the question that you're asking. And then also how much time you have. It's a lot more effort and a lot more time consuming to do an interview with a series of individuals than it is just to look up data off uh, a public website. So it just kind of depends on the scope of the work and the project. But there's kind of an unlimited resource when it comes to data. I think I have a spreadsheet that lists over 100 different sources. So there's always information that's available out there. Wait a minute. You said a spreadsheet with over 100 different sources? Yep. Yep. Okay. It's um, national, state, local data um, running across you know, the gamut because we support from cradle to career. So it's everything from early childhood education all the way up into post-secondary employment data. Wow. That is, that's, wow, that's fascinating. Um, so Kevin, back to you. What is a common misconception about data? Yeah, I think um, a common misconception is that maybe more data is better. Um, I think in some cases it is if you know if you're dealing with a large sample size that's generally going to be lead to more reliable data than if you're dealing with like a small sample size um, but I think also as data people we kind of try to get overly clever with data sometimes and you know really enjoy looking at it a million different ways when you know the, the general public might not care to see it a million different ways so it's really just kind of um, you know, finding that one piece of data that's going to communicate best to the public um, and kind of maybe a good rule of thumb is if you're not learning something from it um, or it's redundant, then, then it's probably not necessary. Mm. Kristen, I want to I ask you kind of like a follow-up question around this misconception. In the community, I hear, you know, some community folks saying, oh, we're tired of seeing that data and the data is only used to point out negatives in our community. So what do you say to community members when you hear those types of comments? I think you have to go back to how data is, is framed and really thinking about it as the title of this podcast states to use it as a flashlight not as a weapon. Um, you know, we're, as the data leads across our different organizations, we're actually going to be having a conversation about this topic, I think, next week, and just really thinking about how do we phrase things and making sure that we're explaining information in terms that people understand. You know, especially in the work that we do, there's a lot of... Um, lingo that we use that might the general public might not understand but we tend to use it quite a bit in our day-to-day -day work and so just thinking through and making sure that we're explaining things correctly so that people understand what we're trying to say um, and not just assuming that because we know what we're talking about that everybody else is going to understand it clearly excellent thank you for that wow very powerful 
Um, Kristen, again to you. Um, we often say that we utilize the same methods of data collection as our partners. W why is that? Why do you say that? Well, we want to make sure that we're collecting the same information so that part of it so that we can make comparisons. I think to the work that, that you all are doing down in Kenosha and all of the different school districts that you support across Kenosha County. And so you want to make sure that you're using the same kind of assessment tools across the districts so that you can look at everything equitably. Um, or the kindergarten readiness measure that you guys are using down in Kenosha, you want to make sure that you can include all of the kids as part of that measure and not just have some of them or just the ones that are part of um, KUSD. And it's, it's important just for consistency and also looking at data longitudinally. Um, if you have an assessment that changes every single year, you're not going to be able to make comparisons across time like you may want to, to be able to say, oh, yeah, our kids are improving in third grade reading or eighth grade math. Mm. Wow. You guys are dropping some gems today. Um, I'm loving this. Um, so, Kevin, how do you make the data you collect more accessible to those everyday people who might be afraid of math? Um, in, in other words, how do you present it in a way that people will understand and connect with the data? Yeah, that's a really good question. And uh, I'll piggyback um, kind of off a lot of the things Kristen just said. Um, but, you know, Brent, as you know, we as a team, we just read a great book about this called uh, Making Numbers Count by Chip Heath, um, which goes through, you know, hundreds of different ways to kind of present data in a way that's more um, relatable and just accessible to the public. Um, so like an example that I think of is when we're trying to um, illustrate a really big number. Um, like for Kenosha, we might say, oh, you can, fit, you can fit that into the Kingfish Stadium 10 times over. Mm. Just so people have some sort of kind of frame of reference can, can create an image in their head of what that might, what that number might actually look like. Um, and then we also do other stuff just to make, um, you know, be transparent with the data we're, we're presenting. Um, and a lot of the Tableau dashboards we create will show um, usually a few different ways to look at the data, you know, by percentage, by fraction, um, just so people can, can kind of see every component of it. Um, and then, like Kristen said, we, we try to compare data too um, across counties, across timeframes, just so again, there's that, that point of reference so people know, um, you know, what's changed over time or what does this look like in other communities? Um, just so they're not kind of staring at one data point and don't really understand the context around it. Um, so it's kind of just a combination of all those things and then just, you know, thinking about that, you know, constantly when we're making data presentations and um, dashboards and all that, all that good stuff. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, so Kristen, <clears throat> could you tell us about one time in your work that data has made a big impact, whether on the organization itself, public policy, resource allocation, et cetera. Can you give us a, a time that, is, that it's just made a big impact? Yeah, just in this, this past fall, we were advocating to some elected officials regarding um, 
federal funds and wanting to use them in the early childhood space. And so I had put together some information showing um, child care providers by a very specific um, area that we didn't have in the past, including providers that were open and their capacity and then the number of providers that had closed. It was amazing. And we had so many great people advocating on behalf of this work. It got to the point where when someone was going in to meet with these elected officials, they were reporting this information back to us and, and telling us, hey, did you know that in this particular area there are this many closed providers and, and this many that are open with this type of capacity? And this was information that they wouldn't have had a month ago. But because we had presented and we had such great people advocating on behalf of this work, they were hearing it so often and they just started to pick it up and use it on their own. And it was just, it was so great. And I remember when I, when I was first told that, I got kind of like the goosebumps. And as such a, a data nerd that I am, it made me so happy to hear that not only was the data being used by our group, but it was actually being like reported back to us, um, which is just so great to hear. Nice, nice. I love it. Um, so, Kevin, why is it important to gather qualitative data alongside quantitative data and, and and if you can if you will can you kind of talk about what the difference is between qualitative and quantitative yeah absolutely um so i think you know quantitative data is usually only part of the story um you know, numbers will mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people based off their own biases and lived experiences and will probably times, a lot of times, you know, try to explain the data based on their own experience, based on what they've seen, based on, you know, the media, the, the media they subscribe to, the political party they subscribe to, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, included qualitative data with that just adds another piece to the story and adds another voice kind of to the, the numbers. Um, and, and qualitative data is really kind of all that stuff that you can't capture in a number. Uh, the categorical stuff, um, you know, the uh, survey feedback, kind of anything that, that's not just, you know, a general number. Um, so, it just really kind of puts you in a place where, um, you know, it, it, it kind of lessens the risk that the audience is going to just default to their own um, biases or, or predispositions when they're looking at data um, just to give that voice behind it or give that extra bit of context so they're not, you know, just using it, um, just, just trying to explain it based on what, what they know. Um, not based on, you know, the people behind that data or, or whatever is, is behind that data. Hmm. So when you explain quantitative data, I, I, I don't know if I'm a right or not, if you could help me out with this. It reminded me of my wife. So like she tells only part of the story sometimes, like how we got together. Uh, she tells part of the story. So am I right? Is that quantitative? I think I'm going to stay out of that one because that seems like a little, uh, a little trickier to answer. I don't want to put myself in between, uh, 
good answer. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, there are some high school, some middle school, maybe elementary school kids that are listening to this episode. And maybe they want to go off into the field of working with data on a daily basis. Kevin, we're going to come to you and then Kristen, we're going to, we'll, we'll let you follow it up. Um, so what's some valuable advice you would give to some young folks that are looking to go into this field or that may not be looking to go into this field? How would you talk about being a data manager? Yeah, and just kind of going back to what I said before about how I got into data, um, you know, I was, a lot of times I was the kid in high school who was like, algebra, like, I'm never going to use this in, in life. Like, what's the point of this? Mm. Um, and it wasn't until I, you know, kind of grew up and, and had held some full-time jobs and some other stuff um, where I realized that, like, data is such a cool tool. Um, it's fun to work with. Um you know, it's fun. It lets you, um, you know, get creative. It lets you um, solve problems, um, investigate. It's kind of, it fills so many um, kind of kind of needs. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's for me. It's been so fulfilling and so much fun. Um, and I never would have thought that you know, ten twenty years ago. Mm. Um, but here I am today, and you know I couldn't be couldn't be happier. Wow! Thank you for that. So, Kristen, to you, same thing. Young folks are listening to this, and if you wanted to tell them or build awareness around your position, and and you know they want to go into this field, how do you not convince them? But how do you share your story and and, and why it's important or why this is the right field to go into? For me, it's it's all about discovery. It's it's learning something new every day um, about the work that we're doing, whether it's a new data point or a new way to look at something. And like Kevin said, it's an opportunity to really be creative and kind of exercise the, that part of your brain um, in terms of maybe presenting things differently or the opportunity to create some really great visualizations and put some amazing things out on the website and I'm with Kevin if you would have told me 20 years ago this is what I'd be doing I probably would have laughed and said absolutely not there's <laughs> there's absolutely no way um but it's it's been a, it's a great opportunity and you never know what you're going to learn and uncover in the process and how that's going to impact others that you know whether it's your colleagues or people in the community wow super impactful and it seems like, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like folks that work in the data field are needed in so many different ranges um, across the board. It doesn't matter, public, private, governmental, it, there's, there's always somebody needed in this field. Is it, would that be true? Yeah, I'd say 100% in, in every in every field, you know, there, there needs to be someone that can translate numbers and, you know, kind of do the dirty work to, to get into the numbers and provide that information for decision making. I think 
businesses have historically done this a lot better maybe than nonprofits. So the fact that we have this opportunity is really, is really great, but we need, you know, a lot of good, good data mines, um, you know, in nonprofit work and government work and all the other, the other parts too. Hmm. Chris, I want to ask you one more question before we kind of wrap up this episode. How important is it to desegregate data? I, I've heard that so much over the last few years. So why is it important to desegregate data? It's, it's so important because it really helps you uncover where issues might lie. Like if you look at We'll use suspensions. And if you just look at suspensions by school, you're just going to get a total number. But if you disaggregate it by grade level, by race, ethnicity, gender, even by classroom, you can really uncover some interesting trends. You might notice that a certain uh, population of students are being suspended disproportionate to their total population in the school or a particular teacher, or a particular spot in um, elementary, like a playground versus a classroom or something. And so desegregating that information allows you to really find where you might have an area for improvement um, in, a, in a school or in a district that you wouldn't see if you were just looking at numbers across the board. And it's, it's so important for the work that we do. And so often that's one of our main goals is to just make sure that we have the data disaggregated as much as we can, while at the same time making sure that we're protecting you know, student confidentiality. We never want anyone to be able to pick out a student because we've drilled down too far. So it's always trying to kind of maintain that balance as well. Wow. Super impactful point right there. Thanks for breaking it down like that, uh, desegregating that question even. Um, so, Kristen, back to you as we close out uh, on this final question. Um, as you guys know and our listeners know that this, this podcast is centered around the question, what's possible when you bring people together around a shared result? So I'm going to come to you first and allow you to answer that, that, that question, Kristen. What's possible when you bring people together around a shared result? In an ideal world, it's limitless. If you have everybody working together towards a shared result, the opportunities that you have working together um, to make change and to improve outcomes for individuals in the community is, is really, truly limitless and it's so exciting to see that work actually happen in in our two communities um and i just i love i love that question but in all honesty it's limitless limitless thank you for that kevin to you what's possible when you bring people together around a shared result uh yeah that that's I think Kristen summed it up really well just there. Um, I think it is is limitless. I think that's what I feel in my bones. Uh, being the data person, you know, I'd like to see proof that, that we could get there. <laughs> I always need some sort of some sort of evidence that that anything is possible. But just in the work that you know we've done in our community and seeing you know other Strive partnerships, what they've done, um, a lot more is possible. Um, 
than, than I could have imagined, you know, before I took this job. So it, it's really been inspiring. Excellent. Thank you for that. Well, that wraps up the, this episode of using data as a flashlight and not as a weapon. Kristen, Kevin, thank you both for joining us. We appreciate you guys. Thanks, Brandon. Thank you. All right, on to my favorite part of the podcast because I get to learn. I get to learn more about uh, each one of our guests on the show. So it is time for our rapid fire question. Kristen, to you first. What's your go-to karaoke song? Dancing Queen by ABBA. Mmm, I gotta look that one up. Kevin, favorite go-to karaoke song? I have never done karaoke in my life, but if I were to try, I'm gonna go uh, Paisley Park by Prince. Wow. (laughs) Pull out the video cameras for that one. All right, Kristen, to you, what's your favorite book? Uh, My favorite book is one from when I was a kid. It's called The Westing Game by Ellen Braskin. Oh, okay. Kevin, what's your favorite book? Uh, My favorite book is Underworld by Don DeLillo. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Okay. Don, if you're listening, hey, no hard feelings. (laughs) Uh, Kristen, what's your favorite meal to cook? I make really good chicken enchiladas with cornbread. Ooh. I like that. Put a pause in the show with (laughs) cornbread. Uh, Kevin, your favorite go-to meal to cook? Um, lately, it's been anything stir fry, um, particularly uh, chicken tikka masala. Wow, sounds sophisticated. Uh, Kristen, to you, what's your favorite summer activity? I love all of the festivals and outdoor activities we have in this area, especially in Milwaukee. Nice, uh, Kevin. What's your favorite summer activity? Yeah, I wish I had a, a more exciting one for this, but it's probably uh, riding my bike, going on long bike rides, listening to uh, music or a podcast. On a bicycle? Bicycle, yeah. Okay, okay, cool. Well, thanks for another great episode and my favorite portion of the show, the Rapid Fire Questions. Kristen, thank you. Kevin, we appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Wow, we're closing out on another impactful episode in a positive light. So a big thank you goes out to Kristen Kuppelman and Kevin Maher for joining the show. Thanks, guys. So here's some of my key takeaways from today's episode. Um, data is not just numbers. In fact, data is any information gathered. Another key takeaway. Data helps you understand what's changed over time, and it can also help you understand what's changed in different communities. Also, data could help move policy change, especially when the community shares their lived experiences to help bring that data to life. And my last key takeaway, I want all of our listeners 
to challenge yourselves by using and viewing data in a positive light moving forward. Again, this podcast is centered around the question, what's possible when you bring people together around a shared result? Hey, speaking of light, please make sure you shine some light on this podcast by subscribing to our Together We're Better podcast. And then make sure you share this conversation with a friend or a family member or a neighbor, someone that should know about the work being done in Kenosha County. And leave us a message. We do read all of them. As always, be well.